All right, good morning. Man, I can't believe you guys with your football jerseys. Like y'all think about football. I cannot imagine someone thinking about football all the time. In case you don't know me, I'm a little guilty of that. So I'm trying to, I was being sarcastic and pious, but not all of you know what a big football fan I really am. Hey, today I'm gonna talk about words of wisdom as we journey through various books of the Bible that, that um, proclaim the gospel in a chapter 15. You know, it was hundreds of years after the Bible was established before we put chapters and verses in the Bible, but it helps us find where to go. And in this case, we know that Jesus is all through the scripture and practical ways to live are all through the scripture. So as a nod to 15 years of being a church, uh, we're looking at various chapters in uh, 15. And today we'll be looking at Proverbs 15. But the first place we'll go in a few minutes is Isaiah 6. So you can start heading that way. The title of this message is Words of Wisdom. Words of Wisdom. Man, we had such a great time Wednesday with our CIL Forward participants. It was a face-to-face meeting, but that time slot doesn't work for everyone. So anytime you want, you can start CIL Forward, which is a way to learn more about our church and how you can partner. You can go to cil.church and find that entity as a three streams church. We try to balance sacrament, scripture, and spirit because we connect to Jesus through all different ways. And those three categories are three awesome ways to connect to the Lord. So that's one of the ways I identify our church when people get curious is it's a unique statement. We're a three streams church. That's one of the things we talk about in CIL Forward. So start that course sometime. Hey, as the video lady said, um, we're going to Israel. That trip is actually moved up a little bit earlier in May because we wanted to get good flights, not bad flights. I mean, that's a real important part of this trip. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about it tonight at 5 p.m. So if you want to be part of a Zoom at 5 p.m. tonight, just to find out what's going on, uh, contact me, Beth, text me, whatever. My phone's over there. So if you text me right now, it won't bother me. It's on silent. So go ahead and text me right now if you want to know more about that meeting tonight. So thanks for looking into that. So Isaiah chapter 6 talks about the presence of the Lord. It's one of the scriptures where we get insight into the throne of God and we, we get more insight in revelation, but our call to worship today mentioned that when we worship, we're joining the throne of heaven. We're like worshiping with the angels because God's so worthy of praise that 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. That's how we organize time. God doesn't really, he's not limited to time. But for all eternity, and we can't even conceive, there's no beginning to God. Angels are praising God around his throne because he's holy. Because God's so special and unique, he deserves to be praised at all times. And so when we worship, we join heaven. It's not like God says, I hope someone worships me today. Oh, those people in Hendersonville are going to do so. No, the people in Hendersonville join the worship that's already occurring. And we refer to that in our congregational prayer. Isaiah had a vision of this throne, and this is part of how we know this. And Isaiah had a vision of the throne of God, and we'll read about that momentarily. But when he was in the presence of God, I want you to notice 
what Isaiah identified about himself because I think we'll all be able to relate to this. So Isaiah chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. They each had six wings. With with two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they flew. And one called to another, holy, holy, holy. That's like a loud way to say it. So when the Bible says holy, 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 it means in a very loud way, is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. In his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we get into God's presence and his holiness, we realize how sinful we are. And that's why we need Jesus. Specifically, we realize how sinful we are because of what we say. I told our team that met together for prayer, I said, hey, guys, listen, this sermon today is going to apply to every single one of you because it applies to me. So I know today, everyone watching, everyone listening, this sermon has 100% application to you because we all, we all misspeak. We all, we all say things we shouldn't. We all sin with our mouth. Sometimes, sometimes it's what we choose to say, but sometimes it feels like the words are choosing us. Have you ever said that? It's like the words come out. And you're like, come back, please come back. I didn't mean to say that. Or why did I say that? Or that was so ill-spoken, so ill-timed, such a, a bad way to phrase that. Jesus taught us this, out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. And so stuff just comes out of our heart and it goes through our mouth. And we realize that we're not holy like God. And that's why we need God. If there's ever a doubt that you need the redeeming work of Jesus, just think about all the stupid things you've said. Sometimes we get pious like those people in culture and America and this generation, a sin, 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 but we sin in the next sentence because we know this, the Apostle James said, we can't control our tongues without the Holy Spirit. So these Proverbs in chapter 15, is going to guide us to a better way to speak. And here's the deal. When we speak, our heart's connected. So I even believe this, that when we get better habits with our speech, it actually impacts our heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, we speak. But I think that, and I could give a scriptural basis for this, that as we try to clean up our mouth and let the Holy Spirit take control of our heart, it has an inverse effect on our heart. 
excuse me, as the Holy Spirit gets control of our mouth and our words, it begins to impact our hearts too. So let me give you just a couple of principles. Wisdom shows us in Proverbs 15, here's number one, gentleness over anger. Gentleness over anger. The most gentle guy I know said amen. Pastor Gentle over there, Mauricio. He's like, amen. And I do love that about Mauricio. He has a way of just like presenting truth in a gentle way. That's one of his strengths. Proverbs 15.1 says it this way. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. That's one of the most powerful principles I've ever known. That like when we can just lower the passion at appropriate times and we can just stay calm. I'm not saying I do it all the time, but I've got better at it. It diffuses the situation. Communication is not just what we say, but it's how we say it. So much is read into our tone. So much is read through our tone, people. Do you realize that? I can say the same thing a different way, and you have a different emotive reaction. I want to encourage you to practice gentleness. I'm not a very gentle person on my own, but as the Holy Spirit's got more control of me, I've got a lot better at it. And sometimes we have to start practicing gentleness. And once you do that, like just practice just being calmer, speaking softer, it's going to freak your family out. I mean, they're going to be like, uh, what's going on here? They're going to laugh in your face. If you try to be more gentle, they're going to kind of laugh at you, but they're going to like it behind that laugh. Practice being gentle and you'll get better at it. Gentleness comes from a settled heart. A person who knows who they are and knows what they value. They have the freedom to be gentleness. Gentleness can be a form of confidence. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes I know that that someone who's not confident can be too gentle in certain situations. But often, gentleness is a form of confidence. Gentleness communicates this. I'm safe. I'm not going to use my power, my tone of voice, my authority to control you or the situation. Even though you may have a power dynamic where you have the power in the classroom, you have the power at the company, you have the power at the church or in the interaction, you don't use that power to control someone. You use gentleness as an alternative to say we're comrades and we're working together. I told you this would apply to every person because we can all get better at this. We naturally mirror anger. I mean, it happens to me all the time. Someone's angry at me, I, I start feeling those same emotions of anger back to them. I'm like, why are you angry at me? And, and we mirror back and it becomes this back and forth. When the Holy Spirit teaches us to choose gentleness when we're approached with anger, it turns out so much better. Gentleness gives us a better alternative. Here's number two that I see in the Proverbs. Wisdom over foolishness. Write it down. Wisdom over foolishness. Proverbs 15.2. So we did 15.1, now we're 15.2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurt out foolishness. I, I, I believe this. 
I know this. Wise people inspire me. I like how they respond to situations. I like how wise people participate. I enjoy it when someone wise participates in the conversation because they make everybody in the room better. Wise people, I'm inspired by their rhetoric, their choice of words, the way they respond, the way that they analyze a situation and respond in a fitting and good way. Here's one of the most challenging quotes that I meditate on often, and it's a great judge in my life. Great people talk about ideas. Average people talk about themselves. And small people talk about others. I think about this quote a lot, and I meditate it, and I evaluate my life on it. It's such a great quote, we don't know who came up with it first. So, like, who said that? And I'm like, we don't really know, but it's really good. This phrase, with an unknown origin, can function as a judge in our life. So when my conversation gets too critical of others, when my conversation is too focused on myself, I ask myself, Aaron, am I thinking enough right now? Am I reading enough right now? Am I feeling enough? Because sometimes we can watch the news or we can hear reports and it can be, we become so disconnected that we don't engage emotionally with it. And when my conversation digresses and I'm talking too much about myself or too much about someone else in a negative light, I start thinking, Aaron, are you thinking deep enough? Are you reading enough? Are you, are you feeling? Because I want to be an interesting person. I've given up the dream of being the world's most interesting man, if y'all remember that commercial. But I at least want to be an interesting person. And an interesting person has something to say. But when we have nothing to say, we digress to lower levels of communication that become hurtful and hurt others. So we want, we want to elevate our conversation. Here's number three. Healing over perversity. Healing over perversity. Look at Proverbs 5, Proverb 15.4. The tongue that heals is a tree of life. But a divisive tongue breaks the spirit. Excuse me, a devious tongue. I, I think they, they both apply. But I'm going to read that proverb again, if you don't mind. The tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. People who use wisdom with their words actually improve other people through their conversation. Isn't that amazing to think that with my words and the Holy Spirit's help, I can improve someone's life who's part of my life? On the contrary, we know this, even though we don't want to admit it, words destroy Words destroyed. That same proverb in the NIV says it just a little differently. Same message, just a different translation. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And often the most popular person in the room temporarily is the most perverse person. And I say, Holy Spirit, give us words that improve people that are Glorious, positive, life-giving words. As Jesus' people, we want to get better with our words. 
wiser with our words. We want to let the Holy Spirit control our tongues. After all, that's what happened in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came to the church. He took over their tongues and gave them a new language. It's symbolic of what happens when the redeeming, transformational, sanctifying work of the Word and Spirit impacts our life. It will impact our tongue. It will impact our language and how we speak. Here's number four. Curiosity over mockery. Curiosity over mockery. Look at 12, Proverbs 15, 12. A mocker doesn't love one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. I see a contrast here. I see curious people like to talk to people who have knowledge and wisdom. They like to improve. They like to see what insight they can gain that's positive and life-giving. But a mocker destroys. A mocker won't receive correction. A mocker, a mocker usually makes fun of the teacher, makes fun of the politician, makes fun of the pastor, mocks them because when they can belittle a person in authority, then they don't have to receive from them. That's true. Whoever you mock, you isolate from your life. Whoever you mock has no voice in your life anymore. Mocking is an easy step to popularity. If you're good at mocking, you'll be pretty popular pretty fast. But it's also a pathway to death. A mocker may be popular, but a mocker offends. A mocker divides. A mocker marginalizes. A mocker betrays. So though they get initial popularity, they are on a pathway of relational death. A mocker ends up losing. A mocker loses respect, opportunity, and most of all, a mocker loses love, the love of friends. It's temporary popularity. It's fool's gold. Mocking is constructing your life upon shifting sand. Character is the slow building of life on rock, the rock of Jesus Christ. And it's that quiet, diligent, faithful, godly life that will sustain the trials. Mocking gets you temporary popularity. Character gives you a life lifetime of respect. And I really believe this. I believe for somebody, this is a life-changing sermon. You're a mocker, but the Lord's going to change the trajectory of your life from this sermon on. And you're going to put away mocking and take character instead. I just really believe that, that the Lord was speaking to that. For those of you who went to Israel with me or who will go in the future, pretty cool thing you'll see is the two places that Jesus may have been crucified. One is built, a church is built on it. The other is a little more isolated. And you can kind of talk back and forth about which one could it be. The cool thing is the fact that there's two actually, actually adds, adds to even the likelihood in, a, in just a different way of seeing it, that this, these two places have been talked about for so long. But there's something both of them have in common. Both of these places are outside the gates of the old city. So they both qualify because they're outside the gates of the original 
Jerusalem. That leads me to my concluding scripture today. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12 through 15. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. It's one of those two places that I mentioned. So that he, may, he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Therefore, through him, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Now, there's all kinds of good things that we could dig into if we had time in that scripture. But for this teaching today, for words of wisdom, verse 15 says that let's continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Let's keep worshiping the Lord. Let's keep being people of worship because the fruit of our lips confess his name. This is what happens when we focus on Jesus and we keep praising Jesus. It begins to impact our language. It impacts our heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but also the fruit of our lips praise and magnifies Jesus and makes us wiser and better and stronger. Hey, I want you to pray with me. So God, we do now commit this time to you. We, we commit this time to you, Lord. As we get ready for communion, Lord, we commit this time to you and we ask for your presence to be with us. We ask for your glory to be with us. We ask, so oh God, for you to prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.